Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, Major League Baseball has taken advantage of the shortened season by experimenting with several rule changes that they may keep going forward. Are they good or bad changes for baseball? What rule changes should other sports make to improve their games? My name is Chad Wiley, and with me is John Nekrasov. And John, normally to start off the show, we always exchange some sort of pleasantries. Normally I say, hey, John, how's your week doing? And then you'll be like, oh, I'm at school. And then you'll be like, how's your week doing? And I'll be like, oh, I'm at work. But, you know, John, today, rather than start off with our usual pleasantries, I'd rather start off with some abrupt and brutal hostilities. What's new, right? Because last week during VAR Corner, you gave your VAR Corner to how you describe them, the laughable club FC Barcelona. And your reasoning was because their best player, Lionel Messi, was leaving, and you were mocking the club for letting their player leave. Well, John, Barcelona decided to, in fact, not let their player leave. And today, it turns out Messi is staying. So rather than start off with a how are you, I'm going to start off today with a apologize to the people for the error of your ways. See, what this is, is a classic media misrepresentation of my original stance. It has, in fact, nothing to do with my original stance, which was that Barcelona is an entirely laughable franchise for creating the situation in the first place. The fact that Lionel Messi announced this morning that he was going to stay because he didn't want to take legal action against the club that he loves demonstrates just how terribly this has been mismanaged. Barcelona remains a laughable franchise, and the fact that Lionel Messi is going to be playing held hostage by the club that he has represented for years is an outrage. That's the first outrage. The second outrage is that we discovered before recording, unfortunately, that Chad didn't know that Scotland was part of the United Kingdom, or at least he forgot. Um, so do you have anything to say about that, Chad? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Oh, wonderful. My, my, my defense is, <laughs> if I can live my life with the belief that Mel Gibson's William Wallace in Braveheart is the reality of today's current situation, my life will be much happier for the thought of that. That's nice, except for the fact, like, see, this is, this is an even hotter take. Braveheart, though it's a great story, is, like, the most inaccurate thing ever created. Oh, I'm aware. That's why I'm saying in my little world of Chad's insulated bubble, Braveheart <laughs> is, is real, and that's why I, I said what I said. It's still my favorite movie fact that kilts feature in Braveheart right? With the scene in the battle where everyone like throws their kilts up in the air and you know, it's all, it's all very raunchy, right? But in reality, kilts appear like 300 years later in Scottish history. And like, it's essentially the equivalent of like, if we made a movie about the Revolutionary War today and have everyone wearing like 20th century, like business suits from the 1920s, and we're like, ha ha, see how accurate it is. <laughs> and I read that and I was like, that's the most unexpected and confusing thing that I've ever read. So but it's really good television. It's great television. Speaking of television, we have a, a listener question that, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, do you want to just read it, Chad? Yeah, John, you got this on your Facebook, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and give it a read. Then you, you and I can both just say <laughs> what we have written down here. The question is, is Darth Bane dead, or did he win the mental fight over Xana and take her body mastering the technique for eternal life? John, what's your answer? See, I, I know who Darth Bane is generally, but I'll be quite frank. Jackson, if you're listening to this, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened with Xana. I don't know when this occurred. 
I don't know in what parallel universe of Star Wars this may have occurred in. I, I, I feel a little bit like a fake fan now. You know, I, I like to pride myself, but I'm assuming this is from like expanded universe books. And I, I, I can provide no input. I'm, I'm tremendously sorry. I feel like we failed as a podcast. Chad, do you, do you have anything anywhere better to go? Yeah, I wrote down this is way too deep into the lore for me. And when I went on your Facebook and I first saw the question, I honestly thought that this was someone trying to make fun of us by merging The Dark Knight Rises with Star Wars. And like my, I'm thinking about Darth Bane like, you merely adopted the dark. I you didn't even know Darth Bane existed? Molded by it. Well, I on, didn't see on. the light until I was already a man. I didn't By see then, it was nothing. Was already a man. <laughs> yeah, all of that. That's that's what I thought when I heard Darth Bane. So My new specialty on this podcast is going to be responding to you in an absolutely fantastic Bane impression. Hopefully, you guys can hear that. This is really good content. <laughs> so yeah, We're that, that's my rapidly. that's my contribution to the Star Wars question: is you merely adopted the darkness? <laughs> I was born into it. So in short, Jackson, we, we have no idea. Hopefully, maybe you can tell us, uh, if you listen to this, tell us what exactly happens. But as of right now, we, we look incredibly foolish. John, beyond the fascinating subjects of Scottish political history and deep Star Wars lore, we are a sports podcast. And I'm excited for this week's conversation. This was actually something that we were planning on doing last week, but mm. obviously issues became more pressing and important. And this was something that could wait for a little bit. Now, John, you're not the biggest baseball fan in the world. In fact, when we were first talking about this podcast, I asked you, have you ever watched a baseball game from start to finish? And you gave a very hesitant <laughs> yes that made me kind of believe you, but also not really. Okay, I would like to preface this by saying, no, I have not. I have been to, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going like, to oversell myself here. I have been to probably five innings of a baseball game on two separate occasions. And I have watched a few innings of various MLB games. So I understand the basics. I am by no means an expert and I'm not going to pretend to be on this topic, but I have read up on things. I have consulted with various baseball fans. And I think we can at least tap into this a little bit before we get into other subjects, which I have at least a degree of knowledge base on. <laughs> yeah, John. Obviously, baseball does not have the appeal to your and, and my age demographic like it does to older generations. And really, all mm. of the rule changes that baseball has been considering is in an attempt to fix that and to change that. Now, I love baseball. I've watched baseball for essentially my entire life. I went to my first baseball game when I was one years old. And wow. it's actually a goal of my father and I to go to every single major league baseball stadium together and we are currently a third of the way there um, so that's been fun I love it I love the sport but I'm also one of those fans who understands the need for change and baseball before this season was already considering some rule changes to make the game faster to make the game more interesting because of the shortened season with COVID-19 they decided to even try some more creative things and so I kind of want to talk about three rule changes that baseball has made you and I can just kind of give quick opinions about whether we like them or not and then we can get into some other rule changes that we would like to see across sports mm -hmm. now John for baseball I've kind of broken this up into the different aspects of the game pitching hitting and running 
And so for the first part, pitching, the rule change that they made this year is that a pitcher has to face a minimum of three batters, where in the past, a pitcher could only pitch to as many batters as the manager wanted. Now, John, I really like this rule because in many ways, beyond the fact that pitching changes take up a lot of time because they have to run out from the outfield and warm up, Mm -hmm. but also specialty pitching was becoming really an overwhelming part of the game that was kind of taking the flow out of the game where you would actually have some advanced statistics that would say, well, this particular pitcher will do well against this one batter. And so he would come out with the only purpose of striking out this one batter and then it would leave. And so really the pitchers aren't really learning how to pitch a game anymore. They're just learning one or two special pitches designed to take out a particular kind of hitter. And I really like bringing back the flow of the game by taking that part of the game out of it and making pitchers participate more in the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense to me. Like, and we'll get into this with soccer later, I'm sure. Um, And even with basketball to agree, like I'm always for increasing flow in a game, right. In letting a game run its course and not making everything choppy and stop and start. And so this rule, to be honest, makes sense to me. Um, I haven't heard, this is one that I actually heard way less about than the other two that we're going to talk about. But I do think it, at least on the face of it, I haven't read a lot of in-depth statistics on like, if that has like dramatically changed the way baseball operates. But I think to me, that makes sense. Yeah. The second one, John, I'll let you go ahead and get started on this is hitting. And this is the universal designated hitter. Mm -hmm. And the designated hitter replaces the pitcher in the batting order. And it's been in existence in the American league for a long time. But this is the first year where the National League is also using the designated hitter. John, as much fun as it is to see a pitcher hit a home run, let's be honest, pitchers are generally very, very bad hitters. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about this particular rule? See, I think I think about this the same way, like, you know, like you have like the designated goalies in hockey. Who doesn't want to see a Zamboni driver? playing as a goalkeeper in hockey, right? Like that is everyone's dream. We talked about that on the podcast, what feels like a decade ago. And he was like six months ago or something ridiculous like that. But I don't know. I think I understand why they do it from a technical standpoint in terms of just like increasing batting quality. But personally, I'm all for things that make games more fun. I think keeping the pitcher as the hitter, I think, I think both leagues should make the, pitchers be in the batting order honestly i think this is a lame rule i think it actually should be rolled back all the way no on the one hand i do understand that but on the other hand you know fans are paying either paying to go to a game or Mm -hmm. paying to have tv to watch people who are who are the best at what they do a pitcher hitting is kind of the opposite of that like you're watching something, you're watching someone do something that they are objectively just not very, very good at. Well, they can, it, they can get better. Like goalies can take penalties in soccer. No, no, no one's stopping you from taking the penalty if you're good at kicking a ball. Like, no, but it's not even like that. It's more like, it's more like an NFL punter lining up at middle linebacker. Like it's just no, 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 not no, no, something no, that they've the ever trained to it's do. The other way around. I want to see middle linebackers punting. <laughs> Again, it's just it's just taking someone completely out of their elements and asking them to do something that they just don't do. They just they need to get good. That's my my analysis is <laughs> get good at hitting pitchers. I think that's 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 one way to look at it. My way is I would rather see 
you know, a really beefy muscular guy who's going to hit a moonshot 479 yards, then watch a pitcher, you know, swing at three low quality change-ups and strike out. But, you know, that's just me. I understand that. Like in, in all seriousness, right. There's a general, I think a theme here that you can hit on is that specialization is something that is becoming increasingly prominent in sports. The more that sports are monetized, right. So the more money comes into things, the more people, are given very exact preparation for very exact roles, depending on the system that you're in. Like you can be coached entirely differently in within a football system for the same position, but by different coaches in totally different ways. Right. Which right. is why you have quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson who play totally differently from Tom Brady. Both are excellent quarterbacks, but like there is almost no comparison in their play style. Right. And so like, Obviously, that's not exactly the same thing, but I think you're seeing more and more that in sports as more and more money is being put into things and analytics are becoming more and more important as opposed to kind of the old school, just like go and, go and play your way through the game. You know, like I think there's something, I'm always a bit of the traditionalist here. I think there's something to be said for the entertainment of the versatility in sports, you know, that like on the one hand, we're investing all this money into sports and we're not going to stop that. And I think it's worthwhile to make your team as good as you can, which is why like Liverpool, for example, hired a throw-in coach so that all of their players would be coached and how to take throw-ins exactly correctly to maximize statistically the amount of gain they'd get from those throw-ins that they took. But at the same time, like there's something to be said for the kind of old school fun, I think in sports that like, I think we can forget from time to time. And I think my feeling is that I think pitchers hitting, being forced to hit gives you some of that old school fun in sports. So like, I don't, you know, if we got rid of it entirely, like I'm sure it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, like, I don't think we necessarily need to, and we'll talk about this. I don't think just because the rule exists doesn't mean we need to change it. You know, on a little bit of a side note, John, I, know, I don't know if you've seen this video. If you haven't, you should check it out. But uh, either last year or the year before it, an LSU pitcher pinch hit in a college world series game mm-hmm. and hit a walk-off home run. And during his post-game interview, uh, like on the sideline, he essentially said, yeah, I went up to my coach and told him that I used to hit bombs in high school. And so he let me hit. And then he was sitting next to his coach in the post-game press conference or one of the media members asked him about it. And he looked at his coach and said, Coach, I have to be honest with you. I lied. I never hit in high school. I just wanted to hit. <laughs> I'll have to look that up later. It's a really, really good video. You That's so good. Check it out. Oh, my gosh. John, the last rule for baseball, and I think this one is actually the most controversial, and yeah. it's starting off every inning of extra innings with a runner at second base. I am – the type of baseball fan who has sat and watched an 18 inning baseball game for fun. I remember, you know, there was one in the world series with the Red Sox a couple years ago that went really, really late. There was one in the regular season between the Yankees and the Cubs that went 18 innings. And that's essentially just playing two games. And I watched the whole thing and it was fun and it was delightful, but I, I I'm willing to admit that I'm a psychopath and not many people would be willing to do that. And so the idea of making these games, these extra innings not last as long is probably more appealing to the casual fan. Coming from someone who, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to say like, I'm not a baseball fan, you know, and coming from my side of things, right? Like there's a part of me that's always like the game is the game. You don't change it. Like the way to score in baseball is to 
score a run. And if you have a runner on second base, it's like you're scoring half a run, basically. Like you're scoring half a goal in soccer. Like what, what, what does that mean? You know, like, like you've done half of the work that you would normally require, which to me seems odd. And so on the face of it, like I don't like it. But at the same time, I know like one of the biggest blocks for me it, in watching baseball, it's exactly that thing of like the action takes so long to get to the crux of the action sometimes, especially in a big game that's tight. And like my attention span is basically maxed to two hours in soccer as a soccer fan. Like the most soccer I watch ever is 120 minutes of action, including extra time. Right. So like football, even I love football, but football tries my patience quite a lot considering how long it is. And then baseball, the idea of having an 18 inning game for me, nine innings already feels long. And so as a casual fan, as someone who isn't like into baseball, that already the knowledge that like a game potentially could last that long is definitely like a major block for me of like getting into the sport. Obviously, I've heard a lot of baseball fans talk about them hating the rule, right? Because it's baseball is very much a tradition based game. And I understand that with soccer. If, if anyone proposes rule changes to soccer, I'm like, no because this is the way it is, you know? And so I understand that. But on the other hand, like, I think baseball will need to reinvent itself eventually. And this may be a way to do that. So I think it's a difficult question to answer that I don't feel like I'm in like fully in the place to answer, but at the same time, as someone who would be a potential as someone who watches basically every other major sport aside from golf moderately regularly, I think that would in a way increase the amount of baseball I watched. Yeah. Your comments about, having a runner on second base is kind of like scoring half a run. I think that's really interesting. And I think that's something we'll come back to later when we talk about other rule changes. And it's the Mm -hmm. idea of your overtime not being like the game itself. So like, you know, that in baseball or three on three in hockey versus five on five, that's a fundamentally different game. College rule overtime, having each team line up on the 25 yard line, that's very, very different from the way normal football works. Soccer, a penalty shootout, is not is is one very very small part of a soccer game, and so I think we'll come back to that later. But before mm. we get into rule changes that we'd like to see, you kind of want to preview some rules that European soccer implemented due to COVID that they're going to be keeping for this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I kind of want to talk about this very briefly, um, just kind of in as a as a general framework for understanding from my side of things, how some rule changes can be good and others can be bad. One of the big issues, right, with trying to determine how sports should operate, New York Times journalist Rory Smith talks about this a lot with VAR in particular, right, that ultimately every sport makes its rules not based on some kind of like universal Bible of the sports rules that have been handed down to us on Mount Sinai, you know, like the, the laws of the game of soccer have been passed down to us. And now we're like, if we deviate, we have, we have disobeyed the 10 commandments of soccer, you know, like that's absurd. We, we made it up, you know, because we said, we want this game to be like this. We want basketball to be like this. And you know, the dude who founded the YMCA was like, what if we had a game with, with a bunch of baskets? And we like threw the ball into the baskets and people were like, Oh, that's a fun idea, you know? And it's taken off ever since. Right. But somewhere along the line, people were like, we should do this thing. Other Later along, people were like, this isn't really working. We should adjust it here. We should adjust it there. And now most of our sports are pretty established. Right. But each sports rules are what makes that sport unique. 
They are what sets the sports culture apart from any other sport. And they also, at times, frustrate fans to absolutely no end, right? So I think within that, right, you have to ask yourself with any rule change, you know, what, what does this rule do to the spirit of the game? Does changing this rule hinder or augment the spirit of the game, right? So soccer, and what I'm going to get into a little bit is soccer, right? The primary kind of, I guess, thing that separates soccer from other sports, I think, is that A, scoring is incredibly rare, and B, the game does not stop except for halftime, right? And so it has this, this feeling of a narrative that's constantly ebbing and flowing. Like people can say it feels very slow, but for someone who's used to it, understands what happens, it feels like it's this relentless kind of wave that happens and you, you feel a game kind of ebb and flow and it's not like a basketball game in the last three minutes where it's like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, start. And you know, like you have like the instant replays and you have the ad breaks and whatever. And it just like the last three minutes takes a half an hour. You know, in soccer, if you have a half an hour left, you have a half an hour left. And so that kind of brings us to the first kind of, I guess, proposed rule change that FIFA created in May when soccer came back to protect players' health. So they brought in two rule changes. You went from three substitutions allowed per game to five. And they also added a drinks break at about halfway through each half. And it was interesting. The whole sub thing is kind of a whole side conversation that some leagues are going forward with um, this year and leagues like the Premier League have actually stopped for this upcoming year. But the drinks break is interesting to me and I think it's kind of indicative of where we want to go with this conversation because the drinks break fundamentally changes the way soccer happens. Basically to keep players fitness healthy in the heat in the summer, basically you added a timeout in the middle of every half in soccer, which essentially turned soccer into a game of quarters. And it was interesting watching it because on the one hand, like it didn't change soccer that much over the few months that we played soccer with it. But at the same time, you saw coaches using it as a timeout, not as a drinks break. You know, the coach would gather the players around, they'd get their drinks. The coach would say, let's adjust this here. Let's adjust this there. And essentially you eventually could have advertisements in that break. If it was maintained, you could have that break suddenly become like soccer is a game of quarters it doesn't flow as well. And you have like four distinct periods of soccer. And I personally think that goes against kind of the entire principle of why we play soccer. And I'm glad the Premier League got rid of it this season. But I think that's kind of like an interesting comparison is back in the 90s in the 1990 World Cup, the back pass was still allowed, which in soccer, that means that you can pass the ball back to your goalie and he can pick it up. Now that's not allowed. But what would happen back then was teams would just kind of recycle the ball around in their half. And then the minute there was danger, they just pass the ball back to the goalie. Goalie picks it up. Game stops, basically. You know, and so they got rid of that rule in 92. And everyone agrees like that created modern soccer in a lot of respects where things are faster. Goalies have to play with their feet. Things are a lot more fun and people score more. And so like that's an example of a rule that kind of is in keeping with the spirit of soccer. Drinks break, breaks up the flow of soccer. And so it kind of messes with how the game is played. I think that's kind of like, with the rules we're going to discuss, I think that's kind of the principles that we have to think about. How are we going to approach rule changes? Does that make sense? Yeah, I see the problem that you're talking about, but I don't think that drinks breaks in particular are the cause of that problem. Definitely you know, not, but, but, yeah. but before, before the official drinks break, 
you saw the exact same thing happen anytime someone got injured. Mm. Basically, as soon as someone gets hurt on a soccer field and the medical team comes out, all the other players are running to the sideline to drink water and the coach comes out and is talking to people. You know, every time the coach makes a substitution, he's sending a player out with a piece of paper with detailed instructions. Well, not every time, but yeah. But okay. some, yeah, it can have, like, that's perfectly allowed. Right. So coaches will use any opportunity to break up the flow of a game and get right. involved. And the drinks break might be a more formal version of that, but it's, mm. it's going to happen either way. Right. Yeah. I think my point is more just, it kind of indicates like the more you move away from originally the spirit of how like a game operates, the more eventually just those things become commercialized. And then you kind of start to lose elements of the game that make it actually fun to the point where like, I, I don't think the end of NBA games are fun with the amount of stoppages and drama that there is. Like I enjoy the drama, like the, the last night was the Raptors Celtics game for us where uh, the Raptors scored literally like a last second, like almost last millisecond buzzer beater three to win that game, you know? And like, that's unbelievably dramatic, but like all the stoppages for me, I think kind of take away from the energy of that moment. Was it on this podcast when you were ranting about how the all-star game ended on free throws? Did that happen? That was a long time ago. That's probably back in February. That was a long, no, we were talking about the dunk contest. I don't think I watched the All-Star game. Okay. I remember there was, it was a big deal. People were getting mad that, uh, you know, for the first time, a game ended on free throws because you were playing to a certain number of points instead of... Oh, no. I Remember do, that? I, and I don't Anthony, know if we debated that, but I remember that. Anthony Davis, like, had a free throw to, to get to the magical number. Mm. Well, you know, the, in the playoffs, it was a walk-off free throw. The Jimmy Butler one? Yeah, I yeah, the Jimmy, I yeah, thought, yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting how everyone got mad about it in the All-Star game, and then it happens in a literal playoff game. Yeah. It was crazy. Anyway, was aside, really random crazy. aside. but John, a few rule changes that you and I have just been thinking about. We'll go through these pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The first one, it kind of – this was one you brought up, and it's the NFL using college rules overtime for football. And if you don't know, college rules football is each team gets the ball at the 25-yard line and they each get a chance to score. They have to either match each other to stay alive. And, John, I'm kind of surprised that you said back about the runner on second base in baseball, you kind of said that would be half a run because instead of going from home plate to home plate, you only have to go from second base to home plate. In the same way, wouldn't this only be about 25% of a touchdown since you're taking 75 yards of the football field completely out of play? So we just had a brief timeout in which, uh, you know, you, it'll be cut out, but we had a brief timeout in which I realized that you do not start on your own 25 in college overtime, but on the opponent's 25 in college overtime, which is intriguing. And I don't think, I don't think I like that. This is a very strange, this feels very meta talking about this. I've just, I've learned strange things. Well, what I would like, I'll just revise what I would like my, NFL overtime rules to be is, you know, you have your own kickoff. You can have a touchback or whatever. I think each team should have a possession. Um, I don't, I don't see a reason why it should be on the 25. Uh, but I do think that like, I kind of go back to the chiefs Patriots game a few years back where, you know, there was a coin toss Patriots win the coin toss in the playoffs and the Patriots march down the field. They score Patrick Mahomes never gets, never touches the ball in overtime. You know, like, I don't think that should ever happen in overtime. You know, it's like soccer had that a while back with a golden goal where first team to score wins instead of having like an actual period of time. And I think like 
especially with a game like football where like it is hard to get a defensive stop like you're putting so much pressure on the other team's defense I think kind of unfairly so I think what should be the rule is basically each team gets a possession and it's the same rule as college but I think you should have to actually go down the field like in the NFL still currently has but just add in a possession for the other side like I don't think it should be first team to score touchdown wins Mm. Yeah, I actually like the college rule. I think because it's because it's easier to score, mm-hmm. it normally doesn't end in one overtime. Like sometimes you'll get seven or eight. Right. And I think that's, I think that's pretty fun. You see college going at a much more high scoring rate, like especially in like the mm-hmm. Big Twelve and the Pac twelve than in the NFL. But I do think it is more entertaining with the way they're doing it. John, you and I just kind of brainstormed a lot. One of them was something I thought of was the the four point line in basketball. Mm-hmm. even farther out than the three-point line. But the entire purpose of the three-point line was supposedly because a three-point shot is about 50% harder than a two-point shot. And that really doesn't seem to be the case anymore. <laughs> you know, it seems like Damian Lillard and Steph Curry have no problems shooting three-pointers and, in fact, like shooting a good six or seven feet behind the three-point line. And so, you know, just to to keep players honest and to make the game actually be in any way difficult <laughs> a four point line, you know, maybe seven or eight feet behind the three point line would make it even more interesting. I mean, I think it should statistically right. Three points are only going to increase, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the way the game has been trending ever since kind of Steph Curry had his explosion basketball has been trending more and more to three pointers just because it's more efficient. Right. But a four-point line would just make everything more exciting. The only problem with this, the only problem is that Damian Lillard and Steph Curry will be the only people scoring. <laughs> True. Maybe maybe Trey Young. <laughs> but it's going to be mostly Dame and yeah. Steph, right? That's so, right. like, I feel like this is, like, a, a Dame and Steph, like, padding move. But, like, I don't, I, I don't know if this, I, I, what this is going to do for the game of basketball as a whole. That's a good point. That's a fair point. <laughs> Actually, I, I reject this one. John, talk to me about soccer penalty shootouts. Yeah, so this is interesting. And this is kind of where we get into the traditionalism versus transformation question, right? Like, do we need to change something? So in the 1990s, when the NASL, the North American Soccer League, kind of transitioned into the MLS, when the MLS first began in like 96, I believe, ties in regular season and postseason games were not allowed, which is very unusual for soccer. I've actually talked to um, a player or two who played in the NASL and the MLS who came over from Europe and didn't know that this was a rule they were like absolutely just like thunderstruck. They're like, what on earth is going on? And it was more bizarre, even more bizarre because it was like basically hockey shootouts. So instead of like having a penalty spot, you know, you put the ball on the penalty spot, take five kicks, yada, yada, like we all do now. Instead, you would start 35 yards from goal and you had to run up and you had five seconds to shoot. And it's like, it created these absolutely like chaotic American soccer games, which it was very mls branded you know like it was a very unique experience eventually we reverted back right and i think the question that we have to ask with something like that like ultimately some people ask like should ties be removed from soccer should we have penalty shootouts at the end of every game if there's a tie should we have the mls style shootouts and like i think it's almost a question of your audience in those respects right i think enough people are soccer fans and accept ties it's not a change that's needed. I think like when penalty shootouts happen, they're dramatic enough as it is. And like, it's almost the drama is almost there because it's not a normal thing. Like when you go all the way down to penalties 
like a, a Champions League final is decided on penalties. Like it is the most brutal possible ending. Like you are two teams that are so evenly matched that you've basically broken each other down to the ground. And like deciding it on penalties is amazing, but also like almost every pro soccer player I've heard talk about it say it's an unsatisfying end. You're just kind of left like, especially for the losing team, having left it all on the field and just being decided almost kind of on coin flips. Like I think for the game of soccer, ties are kind of needed in a regular season. And it's it's not necessary to up the stakes for every game in the way that a shootout would. But that being said, if we got to a point where soccer needed more fans, it is something that I would consider. And right, and that's why the MLS did it back then. Um, but I don't think soccer's in the place right now, unlike baseball, where that kind of change, I guess, is really necessary at all. If that makes sense. Yeah, kind of on the point of ties, a rule change that I would like is to the NHL, to hockey, where you get essentially in hockey, it's a point system kind of like soccer, mm-hmm. but you get two points for a win and then one point for an overtime loss. And now this rule just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because if you're going to give out points for a tie, why play <laughs> overtime at all? Like, yeah. yeah. You know, okay, you didn't lose in regulation. You still lost, but we're going to give you a point. You know, you, you, you shouldn't be rewarded for not doing your job. Like, I don't Correct. know. You it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense failure. to me. It's yeah. like, a, <laughs> like, a, like Mr. Incredible, you know? We keep finding new ways to celebrate mediocrity. Right. If I, if I win a game 7-1, to one, I get two points in hockey. Mm-hmm. If I am tied 0-0... Zero, zero, for 60 minutes and then managed to score one goal in overtime, I get the same number of points. Was I nearly as good or deserving of points? Absolutely not. Nope. So I, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't like that at all. I don't think you should get points for losing in overtime. Lastly, John, this is something that I think college should be more consistent with the pros at, and that's college basketball with their timing in college. They play eight less minutes than in the NBA and they mm-hmm. do it in two halves as opposed to four quarters. And I think that they should just match what the NBA is doing, not just because it gives players more NBA like experience, but just because, well, one quarters instead of halves gives you two additional opportunities for buzzer beaters, which are always delightful. And second is, you know, the idea that for a high profile college athlete college sports is like your version of professional job training and so you should mirror the professional setting as much as possible i disagree because i think college basketball is a perfect game in every way and i want the nba to be more like college basketball not the other way around so that's really that's my only take (laughs) i I have nothing to say to that (laughs) i'm right (laughs) why are you booing me i'm right Let us know, guys, what you guys think about our proposed rule changes. If you guys have any rule changes you would like to see implemented, please tell us who Darth Bane is and why he matters and (laughs) whether or not he has some sort of eternal life power or not. Also, make sure to respond to us on social media when this podcast comes out. If you would like to have your question answered in the podcast, we'll put out a call for questions every week, and we would love to answer yours on the next episode of Crunchy Tackles. But in the meantime, don't go anywhere because John and I are going to be right back with Bar Corner. And we are back with Bar Corner where we're handing out some clear and obvious errors this week. Now, John, I'm very tempted to change my Bar Corner to you for calling me out about not knowing Scotland's political geography, but then you not knowing 
the college football overtime rules. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to give my VAR corner to Christina Mladenovic, who is a French woman. She is a professional tennis player. And she entered this year's U.S. Open, which is a tennis tournament going on right now in New York City, one of the four major tournaments of tennis. When Christina Mladenovic first arrived at this tournament, she was in close contact with someone who later on tested positive. And according to U.S. Open protocols, she was put into more stricter confinements and a more strict quarantine as a result of her exposure. And she was very frustrated at her confinement and at the requirements that were put upon her by the tournament. And after her second round loss, she said, I have only one desire, and that's to get my freedom back. It's like we are prisoners or criminals. For even the slightest movement, we have to ask permission. It's abominable. The conditions are atrocious. If I had known that playing cards for 40 minutes would have these consequences, I would never have set foot in this tournament. Now, on the one hand, her frustration is understandable, and I cannot speak to what the conditions for those players actually are like. But what I can speak to you are two things. First, no one made her come to this tournament. She chose to all on her own. Number two, no one made her decide to participate in a poker game without social distancing with someone who later tested positive. That was her choice. And if she didn't want to get put into stricter confinements, she could have practiced social distancing, not put herself in a position where she was in very, very close contact with other people and, you know, taken her safety more seriously. So I understand the frustration. I understand that these kind of confinements might affect her play, but it seems like she brought a lot of this on herself by her own decision-making and she can't be let off the hook for her own actions by, you know, not engaging in social distancing, by participating in this poker game with other players, you know, in a level you kind of have to take responsibility for your own actions and suffer the consequences of them when things go wrong. Yeah, I, for me, it's just a little funny because it's like, again, I do understand the frustrations. Obviously, we all do. Sports have been happening for like a few months now. Like, we all know what the rules are for athletes when they are in contact with COVID, when they contract COVID themselves, and we're trying to keep sports leagues alive. Like, this is not new information. So, like, if it bothers you, fine, don't play. But if you want to play, like, these are the rules that are present. And to me, you know, like, I mean, we can talk about COVID and politics all day, but, like, to me, the rules for keeping us free of COVID kind of make general sense, you know, in the sports world. Like, I don't, I don't, don't get why this is very controversial. So, anyway, my VAR corner, on the other hand, goes to something far more lovely and beautiful. We watched an advertisement before we started recording of honestly one of my footballing heroes and also one of the most aggravating people in soccer probably the Tottenham Hotspur coach Jose Mourinho the first John, he, yes. John it's it's Jose it's Jose, yeah, Jose. As, as he said so uh, for context the first few episodes of Amazon's latest all or nothing sports documentary came out on his team Tottenham Hotspur that he took over last season If you don't know who Jose Mourinho is, I encourage you to watch this show. And I encourage you to look up some of his press conference highlights on YouTube from just the past decade or so, because he is perhaps the most hilarious character in all of sports coaching. Like, period. Like, in any sport. I will will genuinely, 
put money, if you find me a highlight of a coach, I will put money on the fact that if I show you clips of this man, you will side, you will be on my side almost immediately. He's that funny. He's one of those annoyingly charismatic figures. Absolutely. You really like don't understand why you're so intrigued by him, but you just like can't help yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like you should hate him. And like a lot of people really do eventually. He gets on people's nerves, but as you will see, if you watch this show, like he at the same time is like both endearing and incredibly aggravating simultaneously. And it just, it's so funny. Like you have this TV documentary that's about a sports team and basically he takes it and he makes this entire sports documentary about a team, a movie starring himself. Like this is one of those like all access documentaries where like a film crew is there and everything. And literally somehow he has managed to transform this documentary into a soap opera with himself as the main star and any soccer coach or any other coach that can do that for me is an absolute hero. So watch all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur 10 out of 10 recommend. Yeah. Second that recommendation, Megan and I have watched the first two episodes and it was really funny because the first episode, no one really stands out. Mm -hmm. Everyone's very quiet. Everyone's very businesslike, you know, they're talking about how, all the leaders on the field are just leaders by example. No one's very vocal. Everyone's very passive. And, you know, Jose Mourinho even describes them all as just very, very nice boys. Mm-hmm. They're just a very, very nice team. And so that might, you know, be a good team atmosphere. It's a very bad reality TV show because there's no drama, no energy, <laughs> no emotion. And so then they just drop in this firecracker who is all of the energy, all of the emotion, all of the charisma. And it just, just the difference between episode one and episode two is so stark Mm. because you just drop in this firecracker of a man into this otherwise really kind of boring team atmosphere. And it just gets so interesting. And, you know, you say that he kind of makes it into a movie about himself and really it needs to be if it's going to be an interesting product. And it becomes a very interesting product with him involved in it. See, so that's, for me, that's intriguing. Um, and I, I kind of want to do a whole episode on the subject of kind of the reality and fakeness of sports documentaries at some point. But Tottenham's season has been absolutely wild, right? Like they, last year, they make it to the Champions League final. They start off the year terribly with their great coach, who was there before, Mauricio Pochettino. He gets fired a lot, about like halfway through the fall. Jose comes in, Spurs are beaten in some terrible losses, but then Jose manages to kind of like start turning the ship around Then they fail to win anything. Then COVID cuts the season short and then they have to play in the middle of a pandemic. It's like, that is a dramatic season right there. But it's interesting to see how they instead have made the show, not really so much, at least so far from what I've seen, it's not so much about any of those crazy circumstances as it is just about that one man. And I think it's interesting to see how some of that honestly is probably reality, like the the transformative power that we see all the time about individuals and sports and the way that, you know, we talk a lot about analytics and about rules and whatever. But in the end, like, we realize personalities are what make sports, you know, and even if it doesn't actually make a statistical impact on sports, it changes how we view them. And ultimately, that's, I think, probably much more important. Yeah, I think an interesting part of that conversation, we're not, let's not have that conversation right now. That could be a whole podcast. No, but it could be. One of the interesting things to me is watching this Tottenham Hotspur documentary, athletes have no motivation to be candid and honest when they're still playing for a team. 
Mm-hmm. And when you contrast that to, for example, the show we've watched, talked about a lot and that you're watching right now, The Last Dance, all those people have been long retired. They're all in their 50s and they have no issue getting incredibly candid mm-hmm. right. and incredibly honest. And that makes for honestly incredible television because of that. And so I guess that kind of speaks to different genres of reality TV, sports documentary television. Mm-hmm. And one of those is going to have a more naturally sincere and authentic perspective. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah, we're going to have to do, maybe we'll do that next week. Um, but I think that's a an intriguing dilemma, right? That it's not, not something you necessarily think about when you're watching a sports team on the field. Yeah, well, you've heard it here next week's podcast about sports documentaries and the realness of sports. So make sure to come back for that. And in the meantime, go ahead and continue to subscribe to us if you haven't already, so you can get this in your feed. Make sure to give us a rating and review. Please interact with us on social media. We really want to get involved with you. Make this content be as tailored to you as we possibly can. John, anything else for the people? Any other words of wisdom or encouragement or advice? Learn the difference between Scotland and the United Kingdom and Great Britain, or I will make you learn it by whatever means necessary. That's all. And with that, I think we'll end uh, this History 101. I mean, Crunching Tackles (laughs) podcast. Thank you guys so much for your time. And until next week, when we'll be back talking about sports documentaries, we'll see you guys then. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers.